0: We started last week talking about testimonies from different people in the Bible about Jesus. We talked specifically about John the Baptist and how he said, I must decrease, he must increase. And we made that our our challenge for this week, that uh, we would make Jesus famous. Well, we go on today talking about some other testimonies about Jesus. And in these testimonies, I hope we'll be able to find some courage for this time we're in. And really, I hope today that That you will lay the foundation, which I believe really is the only foundation for hope we can possibly have. I want to avoid in any of this platitudes and promises that I can't make and I can't keep. This is a strange time that we find ourselves in. And none of us knows for sure what is ahead. I don't know when we'll be back. I hope we'll be back soon. That's what we're praying for, but we know for sure will be out at least through April 11. But rather than me making you promises or, or, or giving you platitudes or trying to calm situations that we might not even fully understand, I, rather than that, I want to redirect you to one who has already kept promises and one who has made many more promises. Promises that he will keep. But in order to arrive at that point with peace in our hearts, we're going to have to journey a little bit. So I want to take you on a little bit of a journey through Scripture. We've got to lay a foundation for a faith that can be with us and keep us strong during this time. So I want to lay that foundation. We're going to start in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13. And there we read, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? It's kind of an interesting question that Jesus is asking. He wants to know what they're hearing. What are different people saying? And here's their answer. They replied, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. of interesting some are even equating jesus with john the baptist and and then elijah shows up there again you remember the question the pharisees asked john the baptist are you elijah some say jeremiah or some of the other prophets but now jesus is is going to turn it it's going to get really really real in just a second here when he does this but what about you jesus asked Who do you say I am? I'm sure they were caught for a second there, but Peter found his voice first. Simon Peter answered, You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. Now I want to suggest to you here this confession that Peter has made is the most important confession any one of us can make. Believing that Jesus is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world, that's that's where we start. But it grows into into a confession that comes from a conviction in our hearts. And this is that confession. Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Well, why that? What's so important about that? Well, let's go on here. Look at Jesus' response. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by flesh and blood, but by my Father in heaven. this is a very interesting response for Jesus to make. And there's a couple of points here that I think are very important. And the first is this. Peter is blessed, Jesus says, because he gets it. He has come to realize and have a conviction in his heart regarding the two important realities about Jesus' identity. Number one, he's the Messiah. He's the one that's been prophesied about throughout the Old Testament, throughout the scriptures, the one that all Israel was waiting for. He is the Messiah, but he's even more than most of them expected. He is also the Son of God. You are the Messiah, the Son of the Living God. So, I want to suggest something to you here. Maybe this seems a little bold to you, but here's what I want to suggest. You become a Christian the day you believe this that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, I didn't say believer in God. A person can be a hypothetical believer in God without this confession. I'm saying, what makes you a Christian? At the core of what makes you a Christian is this confession, this belief about Jesus, that he was the Messiah and the Son of God. And if you don't believe that, then it doesn't really matter what you call yourself. You're not actually a Christian. And unfortunately, there are those who want to call themselves Christian who who would back away from this and suggest things about Jesus that were less than this reality. But to truly be Christian, you believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Now, there's a second point here that's very significant, and that is this. Jesus says, flesh and blood has not revealed this to you. So the point here being, flesh and blood cannot reveal this truth to you about Jesus. What that's saying is, you can't be convinced it's true, because nobody can give you enough proof. And you can't even figure it out on your own. The irony here is Jesus is saying this to Peter. Peter's been hanging around with Jesus. They've been traveling together. But even being with Jesus was not enough. Jesus said, the reason you know this is because the Father has revealed it to you. That's quite a statement. And what it implies is that for anyone to come to faith that Jesus is, in fact, the Christ, the Son of God, is a divine miracle that comes from the Father in heaven. That this is a divine revelation that takes place in your heart. I can tell you lots of facts, and you can be tempted to think maybe it's true. Or you can study for yourself and have some idea. But to really come to the point where you truly believe the man, Jesus, who lived all those years ago, truly was the Messiah, the one prophesied about, and truly was the Son of God, This is a conviction that can only come to you from the Father in heaven. You can only believe it if the Father has revealed it to you. To this day, this is still true. To this day, everyone who comes to faith, who becomes a Christian, it's a miracle of the work of the Father through the Holy Spirit convicting the heart. We go out with good news, we tell the story of Jesus, but we can't make one person believe. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. So, that's an interesting point. Maybe you'll grant me that that's an interesting point. But you may be thinking right now, nice point, so what? Well, here's the so what. And I hope you'll, you'll see this as we get towards the end, but here's the so what, and I'm going to scoop it for you here a little bit. If this isn't your belief, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, then I don't know how you have any basis for hope in your life at all. It's kind of a strong statement. And it would seem harsh and completely unfair to someone who doesn't. But as we develop this, see what you think. I want to go to another story. I want to go to another story of a situation that to many of us might seem hopeless. It was a very sad scenario. Jesus had three really good friends. Their names were Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. And Jesus spent a lot of time with them. And it seemed obvious Jesus would do anything he could for them. But Jesus was away with the disciples. They were somewhere else. And Lazarus got sick. And Mary and Martha send word to Jesus, the one you love is sick, hoping that he'll come and heal him. Because there's lots of stories where Jesus has come and healed. He's healed all these people he didn't know. Surely he will come and heal his good friend. But Jesus intentionally doesn't come. He stays where he is. And Lazarus dies. And we pick up the story there. John chapter 11, verse 17. Jesus travels. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in, their, in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him. But Mary stayed at home lord martha said to jesus if you had been here my brother would not have died but i know that even now god will give you whatever you ask imagine being in martha's place this incredible experience that your brother has died and and he's best friends with jesus how can this terrible thing happen to one of jesus best friends well, We see revealed in this story that, that just because you are a friend of Jesus does not mean that you are immune to suffering, and does not mean that you will be immune to loss. Yet, still, Martha finds a way to be hopeful in her despair. Now, now Jesus responds to her. He says, your brother will rise again. Well, that's a promise. Jesus makes a promise here, and he's he's referring to promises that, that she already understands and knows. But what does it mean? And sometimes that's the struggle we have with the promises from Jesus. What do they mean? She responds, Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Well, I can imagine if I'd been Martha in that moment, I'd have said, believe, maybe, understand, I don't think so. Because it's a little confusing, right? The one who believes will live, even though they die, And whoever lives by believing will never die. Does this mean Lazarus didn't believe right? What does it mean? And Martha wrestles with this. And she gives a most profound answer to Jesus. She doesn't say, yes, Lord, I understand everything that's happened. She goes somewhere else. And I want to suggest to you that in this time of trial, when you don't understand what's going on, you need to go to this same place too. Here's what Martha says. Yes, Lord, she replied, I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. She goes back to the foundation. At that moment when she's not sure she understands, she goes back to the foundation and says, all right, the details don't make sense to me. But I do believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God. This meant that even what she couldn't understand, she was saying, this is going to be okay because I trust in Jesus. Even what you can't understand will be okay because you believe. Can you embrace that? This is what Martha has embraced. I want to suggest to you that your ability to keep yourself grounded in your faith in Jesus is the only way you're gonna find peace during this storm. To stay grounded in that faith. And we're all all wrestling with the questions and trying to understand. Pastor Mark this week did this and, and, and posted on Facebook. Uh, his own wrestling with this. And I want to share this with you. You may have seen it when he put it up. He was quoting, it says, It is wise, however, to be ready for suffering. It is wise to be ready for suffering. Often most of the painful emotions people experience during adversity are actually the shock and surprise that they are suffering at all. Even many Christians believe that God won't let really bad things happen to them. But Jesus himself disproves that. If God allowed a perfect man to suffer terribly for a greater wonderful good, why should we think that might not happen to us? What he's saying here is is Jesus has taken away our sins, but he has not yet taken away the suffering that result from sins, and the suffering we may yet need to experience for his sake. He puts on here 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12, and I want to read you 1 Peter 4, verses 12 and 13. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the fiery ordeal that has come on you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. Okay, it is the unusualness of our day that Trials and fiery times feel strange to us. And Peter warns us, don't feel like when things like this happen that something strange has happened. But listen to what he says. Look at how he turns it. But rejoice inasmuch as you participate in the sufferings of Christ so that you may be overjoyed when his glory is revealed. Rejoice when you share in the suffering. I go back to Mark's post. He said, I have so many questions that evolve on the topic of suffering. Sadly, I've not found many comforting answers that help people or myself in the midst of suffering. Jesus is the answer seems too simple. And for me today, He is. It does seem simple sometimes, doesn't it? And a little trite maybe when we say, well, Jesus is the answer. Well, out of context, yes. It might seem that way. But here's what you've got to understand it's actually the truth. Jesus is the only answer. So, so far, we've found three people who get it. Peter gets it. Martha gets it, even though they don't understand everything. Pastor Mark gets it, even though he confesses, a lot of stuff I don't understand. Do you get it? Do you see? Do you believe? It was John, the apostle, who wrote the book of John. It was his goal that you would. Now, he also understood that by himself, he couldn't make it happen. Flesh and blood can't reveal it. But let me show you something. Let me show you what he wrote at the end of his book. John chapter 20, verse 30. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you... Who is you? You is the one who reads. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. And what comes to you when you believe? and that by believing, you may have life in his name. It really is the answer. So let's try to bring it right to where we're at. Here's a question for you. Where is your trust and your confidence today? As I've been reflecting these last few days, I've had to concede that we've really kind of been living in a spoiled reality. I mean, we know that. We look around the world. We see the hardships in other places. We see those other things. But somehow in our minds, we kind of associated that kind of trouble with over there or with an earlier time. And... and You've heard the saying, everyone became fat, dumb, and happy. Well, I'm not going to call us dumb, but I I think maybe we became fat, secular, and happy, or at least trying really hard to be happy. I think we've had a tendency sometimes to be a little godless. But I want to ask you, is the way you've been rolling along, the way you've been coasting along, is it working for you in a crisis? Is your faith sustaining you? Well, and here's the other question. Was it really working so well before? I mean, all of the advantages we have, all the things we have at our fingertips, all the entertainments we have available with us, all of the things we can do at any given moment, and yet, are we not the most psychological mess of a generation that's really ever been on the earth? Are we really doing so well? I want to suggest that... that, that when we feel these feelings of uncertainty and, and this fearfulness that creeps into our hearts, that it really is a function of misplaced confidence. We've Perhaps we've placed our confidence in our youth. There were a lot of spring breakers who were out at the beach putting confidence in their youth compared to getting sick. Uh, our health. Maybe we put confidence in our health. I'll tell you what, in our family, that's not something we've done for several years since we've been through the the situation with Nathan several years ago and then Alicia's uh, bout with cancer a couple years ago. We don't take health for granted anymore. Maybe you put your confidence in the government. And from the energy a lot of you put into uh, arguing back and forth over the government and who should and shouldn't be in charge of it, suggests to me you've got a lot of confidence there. Maybe some of you are putting your confidence in the military. Or you've put your confidence in your own wits. You just know you're smarter than everybody. Or maybe your money. Put your confidence there. How's that working for you now? I certainly pray that the good times we have known will return. But could this experience that we're in right now be a wake-up call? to call us attention to the attention to the fact that we've put our hope on things that just aren't solid what if you put your hope in the truth that Jesus is the Messiah the son of God and that he has come on a mission and that he has sent us on a mission Could you be confident in that? Can we be confident in the story of Jesus? Well, Peter, later on when he writes a letter, will speak to this. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. And I want to say to you right now make every effort to confirm your calling and election. Be on your knees before the Lord. And you will receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So I will always remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I've said it before. I've said Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Messiah, the Son of God. You've heard that before. But I want to say it again and remind you, because this is what we're established in. He goes on, For we did not follow cleverly devised stories when we told you about the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ in power, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He received honor and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory, saying, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased." We ourselves heard this voice that came from heaven when we were with Him on the sacred mountain. We also have the prophetic message as something completely reliable, and you will do well to pay attention to it, as to a light shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. So what do we have in hard times? We have the promise that Jesus is the one who has come to save us. He is God's Son. And we have the prophecies that God has given us. They shine as bright lights in a dark place. The story of Jesus is not a fable that's grown old. Maybe maybe in our drift towards secularity we have treated it that way sometimes. But it's not a fable that's grown old. Rather, Jesus is our only basis for hope. Our hope Should be built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. You see, here's the thing Jesus loves us, Jesus saves us, Jesus cares for us, and Jesus promises to be with us. Your ability to keep yourself grounded in your faith in Jesus, is the only way you're going to have peace in this storm. The prophecies are sure. Isaiah chapter 40. See, the sovereign Lord comes with power and rules with a mighty arm. See, his reward is with him and his recompense accompanies him. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. These are the promises. He will be with us in our trials. We may find ourselves in difficult days, but Jesus has a reward for the faithful, and he will bring that reward when he comes in power. Revelation chapter 21, he who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this And I will be their God, and they will be my children. This is the promise. This is the day we work towards. This is more important than anything else we've built in this life. So here's reality. It's not over yet. The Lord has not returned yet. We don't know if this is a temporary crisis that we'll come through and get back to things as they were or or where this will go. But we do know we're tested in this day. Here's what I believe. We still have work to do. This is no time for standing on the sideline being fearful. We still have work to do. Paul, in his words to Timothy, for God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. This is no time for us to be afraid, but rather to lay hold of the power and the love and the sound mind that God has given us for times like this. There are many things we could do, but I want to suggest to you six things six tasks that we can be about in the days ahead first stay in touch there are lots of ways we can be in touch with each other during this time and it's amazing the technology we have to do that we can text we can email we can call we can facetime you can get together in all kinds of ways where you can even see one another stay connected with your sabbath school with your small group with your friends with your family If everyone is reaching out, then we will stay in connection with everyone. Let the Lord put someone's name on your heart and be in touch with them. But stay in touch. Stay in touch with each other during this time, even though we can't be together. Second, cooperate as long as it is moral. What do I mean by that? I mean cooperate with the authorities. They're really trying hard. The truth is they're not sure either but they're trying to figure out the best way for us to go through this. Cooperate. Don't don't resist. Nothing has been asked of us yet that's immoral or that tests us in any way. Cooperate. Let's be cooperative and try to work this out together. Third, you have some time now. Spend some time in Bible study and in prayer. It's amazing how even when we're home, a lot, we still don't find a time to do that. We're distracted. We're doing something else. Spend time in Bible study and prayer. Next, if you have, give. We're going to talk about financial giving to the church and the, and the different institutions we support in a minute, and I don't want to talk about that now because there's a lot of ways that we can give. If you have, give if you have extra of something and your neighbor needs it, this is the time. Give, share, be open. Have a heart that's willing to give. And speaking of your heart, maintain hope in your heart. It can feel like a fearful time, but maintain hope in your heart because because your ultimate hope is not centered in And whether everything gets worked out or not, it's centered in the promises of God through Jesus Christ. Maintain hope in your heart. Because by doing that, who knows, you might be able to share that hope with someone else who really needs it right now. Maintain hope and share that hope with others. Be a means by which the hope of God can come into the world In this difficult time, in this challenging time, stay hopeful. Six things we can do right now, six things that will help. Will you be somebody out there making Jesus famous, maintaining a hope in your heart? Let's pray. Father in heaven, In place of fear, give us power, and hope, and confidence, and a sound mind. Grant us wisdom for this time. We thank you for the blessings. We would pray that they would come again. But our fondest hope is not in that. Our fondest hope is in Jesus, our Messiah, the Son of God. May his return be soon. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.